Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. This week we've got a great speaker. Hope you enjoy it. We remember uh, all those who served and are serving uh, in, in our forces. And, and if we'd just like to welcome, if we could get Archie just to read the first prayer, please. God of grace and mercy, prompt us daily to acts of kindness, that even through our lives we may, we may, we may reflect your love in, for all huma, humanity. Kindle your love within us, that we may be your light in the world and channels of your peace. Flanders fields, the poppies blow, between the crosses row on row that mark our place, and in the sky the larks, still bravely singing, fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, to you from failing hands we throw the torch, be yours to hold it high, if ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. Let us pray. God of all compassion, May we always be alert to the needs of others and be ready and willing to respond, to treat all others as we ourselves would wish to be treated. Kindle your love within us that we may may be your light in the world and channels of your peace. Amen.
Let us pray. God of peace, make us restless until war and conflict cease and the long envisaged unity among the nations is made real. May we honour the millions killed in war by being your active and committed peacemakers now in our country, communities and homes. Kindle your love within us that we may be your light in the world and channels of your peace. Amen. to read a poem called For the Fallen by Robert Lawrence Binion. This was written in 1914, just after the outbreak of the First World War. With proud thanksgiving, a mother for her children, England moors for her dead across the sea. Flesh of her flesh they were, spirit of her spirit, fallen in the cause of the free. Solemn the drums thrill, death august and royal, sings sorrow up into immortal spheres. There is music in the midst of desolation, and a glory that shines upon our tears. They went with songs to the battle, they were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted, they fell with their faces to the foe. They shall not grow old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. They mingle not with their laughing comrades again. They sit no more at familiar tables of home. They have no lot in our labor of the daytime. They sleep beyond England's foam. But where our desires are and our hopes profound, felt as a wellspring that is hidden from sight, to the innermost heart of their own land they are known, as the stars are known to the night. As the stars that shall be bright when we are dust, moving in marches upon the heavenly plain. As the stars that are starry in the time of our darkness, to the end, to the end, they remain. Oh 
morning. Our first reading is from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. Yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope, because the Lord's great love and we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Our next reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The next reading is from Micah chapter 6, verses 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The last reading is from John chapter 14, verses 27. Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I did not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Didn't they do well? Thank you to all the youth that helped here. This is such an emotional day, so I'll try my best. Armatus Day comes from the Latin arma, which is arms, and statium, which means stoppage. And today is the 100th anniversary of Armatus Day. Today on this day, at 5 a.m., November 11th, 1918, in Compiègne, France, the Allies signed an agreement with the opponent Germany to bring an end to all fighting on land, sea, and air, to end what was known at that time, the Great War, as they only at that moment knew that war. This was later to be known as World War I, as I'm sure you're all aware. The armistice of Compagnon came into full force as we know today, on the 11th hour of the 11th month, on 1918. This war resulted in the deaths of more than 15 million people, changing families and nations for decades to come in ways that we will never comprehend. Today is not to glorify war, but to remember with a truly grateful heart all those who fought for us and our future generations and also for us to remember those who are on the battlefields today and those that are suffering for that today. Let us honor those men who in the face of fear and death stood up against for what was wrong that righteousness would prevail. Let us remember, let us not forget, may they forever be on our hearts and prayers. Church, could I ask if you would just stand to your feet as we're now going to have two minutes silence. Now in this, we're going to have the video clip and it will be chiming through. So, thank you.
Our Lord, we thank you for the great men and women Lord, who served their nation under you in that time of great trial and tribulation. Lord, we remember those who gave so much. Remember those who are still serving, Lord God, who are still fighting for that great cause. And for those also who have suffered, Lord God, and are still suffering, Lord God, and all their abilities and physical ailments, Lord, we just want to ask that your peace would be with them and their families, generation to generation. We ask that you'll be their strength and hope in times of despair. We thank you for them, Lord, and we honor them before you. And we thank you that you raised great men and women that we may stand free today. In your name, amen. Good morning. Are we all back in yet? Are we all here? Good morning. I'll just wait for Stephen, eh? <laughs> My topic this morning is called to create. If you've got the Bible app, which I have, which I know quite a few of you have now, I think how you work it is you go on to location, it susses out where you are, you hit events. Am I right, Alco, is that how it works? <laughs> you hit events, it comes up with all the notes. So everything that I'm talking about, you have all the, the notes, the quotes, the, um, the Bible references, the verses, everything that I'm speaking about today should be on the app, on your phone, on your device, as we're, as we're walking today. Ewan's got it up, brilliant. Okay, anyway, my topic this morning is called To Create. And much of the content there has been inspired by a book called, called To Create by a chap called Jordan Rayner. Now, I'll be honest, when my first thought when I noticed that this was also going to be Remembrance Sunday that I was speaking on the topic called To Create, I kind of wondered, is it even, is it appropriate to be talking about an, an airy-fairy sort of subject like creativity on an occasion like this? I'm getting an amen over there. It's right to remember and it's good to reflect as we have done. But then I realized, of course it's appropriate to focus on a call to creativity in the midst of our reflections. I mean, Alan mentioned it when we were chatting earlier on. Well, the opposite of destruction is creation. Surely that's the way forward. And this is what I believe. I believe that we are uniquely positioned as God's people to create a society that ends war, that alleviates poverty and suffering, that fights injustice, and that brings hope. So that's where we're going today. And I might speak quite quickly this morning, and partly it's because I've only got half an hour, but it's also because I'm really excited about this. There's, there's a lot of stuff that I want to get out here this morning because I think we have an opportunity to change and move forward in hope and in creativity. So, as I say, I might speak quite quickly. What I won't do this morning is I won't be giving you seven keys to success or a clear, uh, succinct life application for you to take away. I'll be throwing out an idea and hopefully planting a seed. But the application is for you to figure out in your own life. Are we okay with that? Good. Because this time it is for you to figure out. I'm on a journey with this stuff. I think we all are. And my hope is that you'll become as excited as I am about where we can take this. Okay. Let's see if the technology works for me. There should be a video clip coming up right now. I'll be back in a minute.
Tomato to me. Gotcha. Thank you, sir. Yep. Subscriber, click down here so you okay. don't miss out on any new videos. Special thanks to our friends at K Jewelers for making this whole Did you video enjoy possible. That? If you guys want, yep. yep. These guys are called Dude Perfect. Um, they're one of the biggest things on YouTube at the moment. They've got 36 million subscribers. I understand that 124 million people have seen that video. That's every person in the UK has seen it twice. So they've become quite a big deal in YouTube land. My boys watch them quite a lot. And what they are is, it's a, they were a group of college basketball players, I understand, and they started off doing trick shots for fun. But they now hold several world records for basketball and American football related throws and kicks. So I, as I said, my boys watched them quite a lot. I decided to find a bit more about them. And I found this quote, which is up behind me. This is on the very front of their, their website. I'll read it out. A free sandwich, a simple camera, and 20 I-can-do-better-than-you shots later, Dude Perfect was born. Obviously, when that first ball swished, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, but we believe that nothing happens by accident, that God's given us a platform for a reason, and that we have an opportunity to make an impact on the lives of countless others around the globe. Above all else, our ultimate goal is to glorify Jesus Christ in all that we do. We want to use this platform for something much bigger than us. Wow. <laughs> we want to use this platform. These guys sound like they have a mission. It's interesting stuff. It's fun, yes, but frivolous, maybe not so much. There's more to this. Anyway, 
as a serious preacher, I'm not going to use and base my sermon upon a YouTube clip. Let's turn to Scripture. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning. We'll start at verse 1 and we'll continue on through to Revelation sometime round about Saturday lunchtime. No. <laughs> but let's start at verse 1, at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God saw that it was good. I might be wrong here, but it reads to me like God's enjoying himself, enjoying the act of creating. There then follows another 20 verses of God creating until, in verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals over all the creatures that move along the ground, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, Jordan Rayner, in his fascinating book called To Create, quotes an American pastor called Jerry King, who in 2008, he said this, I'm gonna read this quote, and it's in the notes as well. God presents himself in the Bible first as the creator God. He could have begun his story in lots of different ways, but the place he chose to say, human beings, this is who I am, I want you to know this about me first, is here. I am the creator, God. And so the very first chapters of Genesis begin with these unfolding stories of God in action, creating out of nothing. Bringing into being, stage by stage, day by day, everything that is. And if you're one that has a greater amount of creativity in you, then you have a place at the table of God's people and of humanity. You're valid. Step up. Bring what you've got. Don't dare hold back. Not cringing back. Not with arrogant pride. But with sane humility. Bring your stuff. Other people need it. We're all made in God's image. We're all creative. It's why we enjoy music or art or films or sport. It's why we launch businesses, start families, plant churches, and fight for causes that we believe in. We desire to create. We believe things can be made better. The problem is, we don't always, church people, we don't always believe that there's any spiritual validation from God or from man for our creative passions. We have to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, or teachers. But our creativity is not just a fringe interest. It's central to who we are and to God's plan and his call upon our lives. Can I get an old school amen to that one? Yes. God does have a plan and a call in your life. Not only do we have to step up and bring our stuff, sometimes we have to step out too. I remember years ago hearing a sermon from, it was Paul Scanlon, and it was on the call of Abram, who left his own country behind. And when God said to him in Genesis 12, he says, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, that's a call. Who wouldn't want to be a blessing like that? Who wouldn't want to be blessed like that? 
But the line from Scanlon in that sermon that sticks with me years later is this. God is attracted to movement. In other words, if you want to follow Him, His plan, His provision, His purposes, His blessing, you have to step out. You have to move first. That's what faith is. Now, can anyone remember a time when they knew that they had to step out in faith and in obedience and trust God? Can anyone remember a time like this? The good thing now with social media is I don't even have to remember. It does this for me. This post appeared on my Facebook memories timeline last week. I'll read it out. It says, did it? Whoop. What did I do? Ah, very good. I wasn't, it was a rhetorical question. I wasn't really looking at call. It's not a call and response thing. We're not in America here. <laughs> Stop heckling my wife. <laughs> anyway, did it. Whoop. What had I just done on 1454 on the 30th of October 2009? You liked it. <laughs> this is what I did. I resigned from my job and stepped out. Now, there's many and varied and complex reasons leading up to this decision. And I wish I could say that I simply heard God speak and stepped out in total obedience. But nearly a, a decade later, it is possible for me to trace God's hand in it all. I'd become frustrated and dissatisfied, and I wanted my life to count. I don't know if 35 was too early for a midlife crisis, but I was heading that way, dissatisfied. By the way, being dissatisfied and frustration in itself isn't a sin. Sometimes it's a symptom of something that God's trying to get your attention on, something that you're not happy about in your life, something that needs to change, something that needs to move. So when we talk about the whisper that we talked about two or three weeks back, sometimes that dissatisfaction is a holy dissatisfaction. You're not just grumpy or crabby or, or grasping or demanding more. Sometimes there's a dissatisfaction with the status quo. Things have to change. Things have to be better. So sometimes we have to listen to that. Thankfully, for one of the few times in my life, I did to some extent. Anyway, back on script. <laughs> I was younger then. I was possibly more naive. But I didn't see how my job as an architect would change anyone's life, far less impact the world for Christ. I was I idealistic and most frustratingly, probably, I was a creative type. See, I'd, not only did I not think I was of much practical use... I wasn't sure if I was of much spiritual use either. After 11 years as a Christian and helping out in some kind of leadership roles, I didn't even then, still didn't know if my place was, my call was in the church or in the marketplace, in the business world, in the world or in the church. I didn't know. And something else was happening in the background then too. Some of my friends and some of your friends had started visiting Haiti. There were mission trips, medical teams, well digging, caring for the physical and spiritual need of some of the poorest, the most forgotten about people on the planet. True religion is to look after the widow and the orphan. But as much as I had a heart to be involved, I couldn't see where my skill set would be necessary. But fast forward four years from the date behind me, and not only had I been on my own trips to Haiti, but had the privilege to be involved in the design and construction of a new hospital, two schools, an aid worker accommodation centre, and an orphan's village. Now, I want to be careful here. I'm not suggesting there's a formula for some sort of cosmic wish fulfilment going on. It's not like if you do X and Y, God has to do Z. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. And like Abraham, I had no idea what was coming next, so I can claim no credit for any sort of retrospective wisdom that it may have looked like I had. No. But what I think I've learned is that if we position ourselves and make ourselves available to be a blessing, God will use what you have because he put it there. 
Incidentally, God can also use what you don't have, but that's maybe for another day. But if I hadn't stepped out from the security or the supposed security of employment, I wouldn't have been in a position to have been used in this way. Also, it occurs to me, we have to trust who God made us to be. Have the courage not to wish that you were someone else or something else, but to be who God created you to be. It turns out God could use an architect after all, even one who wasn't the finished article. Now, I've always loved what Paul says in Philippians. I'm going to read this one out. It says this, Philippians 3, 12. Not only, no, sorry, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press onwards towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So we keep moving forward. So far, so good. Now, here's a, a massive scripture for me. happened here. <laughs> I'm sorry, can we get the seventh slide on, please? The one that's, yeah, here we go. Seventh, Matthew 25. Now, I'm saying it's a massive scripture for me. I mean massive in that it carries a big weight, and I always read a lot into it, and it seems to sit upon me quite a lot. So it's massive from that. It's also massive because it's quite a bit of reading for me just now. So if you'll bear with me or follow in your devices, Great, but I'm going to read it out. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. The parable of the bags of gold. A man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Keep that one in mind, according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the, the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received the five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold came. Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came and he said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my deposit, my money on deposit with the bank so that when I returned, I would have received it back with some interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That brings me out in a sweat, that one. Eh? It's well worth noting that verse. Why is it I always read that scripture and put myself in the place of the wicked, lazy Servant, I've never seen an upside to that scripture. And by the way, in the interest of context, the next parable that Jesus talked is about the sheep and the goats. If there's one parable that terrifies me more than that one, it's that one. 
what if I'm the servant with five bags? There's a huge incentive to invest what I've been given. There's an entrepreneurial spirit that runs through that parable also. Another pastor, uh, Robert Sirico, is quoted in Rayner's book, and he says this, I like this quote. He says, if you're passionate about entrepreneurship, gifted at the craft, and have been given opportunities to use those passions and gifts to love and serve others, you're called to create. So creativity is not just what we think of as an artistic endeavor. It's entrepreneurial. This act, this, this bias towards creating things. It's not a self-serving thing at all. Anyway, Sirico goes on to say, now it's up to you to steward those God-given gifts well so that the master may also come back to you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, before I set up business on my own, I was made redundant twice. So much for the security of employment. First time was with a small firm and they couldn't afford to keep me after a client defaulted on a payment. The second time was with a very large firm. And they couldn't afford to keep me and several others when a very large client defaulted on a very large payment. So it then occurred to me, having been through that a few times, maybe there isn't the same security anyway that we all think we have. Maybe that's just a myth. I don't know. That's just how it appeared to me. Anyway, I was having coffee with a friend recently, and he wondered why so many of us take it so hard when we lose a job, why it has such a deep impact. My friend then said, halfway through the conversation, I know what it is. We don't know the difference between our job and our work. What? Say that again. He says, no, think about it. We don't know the difference between our job and our work. They're not the same thing. He says, no. He says, your work is what you're called to do. That's what you do. That's who you are. That's what you're all about. That's your work. That's your work. Your job, hopefully, aligns with that, usually. You usually find yourself in some sort of employment that lines up with who you are and what you're about, usually. So your job's not the same as your work. And I thought, well, what if we thought of our work as our call, our calling? Now, if we're lucky then that does line up with our job. But we could have several jobs, but we'd never lack purpose. We could lose several jobs, but never lack purpose if we have a call. Okay, I found this quote by Dorothy Sayers. It says this, work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. I suppose if you, change, if you change the word call to work, maybe it makes more sense in the context of what we're talking about, but I'll continue with the quote. Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's, the worker's faculties. This was obviously written about a century ago, slightly different language. But it says here, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction in the medium in which he offers himself to God. So, there's two things going on here. The call, the work, is the thing that you're created to do, but then it's something that's given back to God as well, because it's, it's also a service. It's an act of worship. So, if we read the word work as call, this probably makes a little more sense. <coughs> I'm going to play another short clip now. It's a guy called Norman Foster. He's probably the world's most successful architect. My advice to a young artist, a young architect, is first of all, does architecture or art, sculpting, painting, drawing, is that what you really, really want to do more than anything else in the world? And you would do anything to be able to do it because it really, really fires you. If that's the case, you've made the right choice and you go for it 
and you immerse, totally saturated, you live it every living second of your life. If you don't believe in it that much, then you have to find something that you believe in, something else. And it doesn't really matter what it is, because in life, I think you'll find that everything is creative. Everything is creative. I love that clip. I mean, Norman Foster there, he's, he's the, like I said, he's probably the most successful architect on the planet at the moment. He's 85. And when I, when I see guys like that, it always reminds me of you know, Caleb speaking to Joshua, telling him how he's ready for battle, even though he's 85. And it gets me thinking, maybe the way I should be setting things up in my own head is I should be imagining myself at 85, rather than dialing down, but being at my peak. Still going for it, still going strong. And I'll tell you what else, it's probably just as well, because the way that my pension's going, I'll be working then anyway. So, but it's inspirational to hear people like that, still vibrant, still full of life, still filled with creativity, still bursting, and also passing on a bit of advice to generations like mine. Anyway, he's describing a call to create there. Everything is creative. The only thing I would probably add is everything is creative and can be given back to God in worship. I'm going to play another clip just now, and I'll let it run for a few minutes. And while I'm doing that, maybe just think about some of the things that we've been talking about. Try and filter it. Try and get your own head into some of this. Let this wash over you. Go back in a moment. For any house heads in the congregation wanting the track listing, that's Hallelujah Anyway by Candy Staten. I think it's probably the director's cut, which means it's a Frankie Knuckles edit. Mean anything to anybody? <laughs> anyway, the reason for that clip is because it features a guy called Robert Hood. And you can probably read behind me a little bio of Robert Hood. But the man we've just seen, Robert Hood, is a, a pioneering DJ and record producer. He's also an ordained minister. This weekend he was both preaching and then playing in Berlin. And I love what he says here. He says, when I'm behind the turntables, I'm at a pulpit. I'm preaching a message of love. It's just that it's coming through electrical wires and function one speakers. I might be imagining it, but that sounds like, to me, like a man who understands his call to create. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was great. That's a party. That, that's in Holland. That's in Amsterdam last year. 
You see all the people, they're singing along. Pray, <laughs> singing, sing hallelujah. Praise him till your blessings come down. This is a secular crowd. But he's getting a message out there. And he's changing the atmosphere or the lives, even if it's only for a few hours for those people that come along. That's a guy that understands his call to create. And he's using the, the gifts, the things, that he, the things that he's passionate about. He loves his music. He's been a, a, an innovator all his life. But he's using it to reach people and to change, even for a few hours, their lives. Anyway, we each have a call. There's a general call, I suppose, to make disciples and live out our lives of faith. And there's a specific call connected to the creative drive that God's placed in each one of us. And that's what I'd like us to tap into. That's what I want to continually keep tapping into. So how do we discern our call? Rayner suggests there's three questions that we should ask ourselves. Number one, what am I passionate about? Identifying passions is key to discerning our calling. We create for the sheer joy of creating. But passion without competence is worthless. So next we ask, what gifts has God given me? Now this can take a bit of trial and error. It can take a bit of time. But we need, we, we need to be prepared to fail sometimes, to get it wrong, to discover this. But eventually we can get to a place where we can honestly assess if the work we're doing is what God has equipped us to do well. If we demonstrate competence in this area that will glorify Him and love and serve others. And then we look for the opportunity by asking the question, where do I have the greatest opportunity to love others? Now, in business terms, we're saying, what's your market? Or in sporting terms, what's your playing field? In family terms, where's your people at? Aim for the need. It's the only advice I can give. We're all going to have to find this one out for ourselves, but the advice I would say, aim for the need. I would also humbly note that your call will be God-honoring, and it will be others-focused. That will help you to identify if it's a genuine thing or not. For my own part, I think the call in my life my call to create has to do with transformation. It's an idea that has a, a deep personal interest for me since I experienced the hope of salvation 20 years ago. I still struggle to comprehend the grace that would find me and write me back on even after I'd written myself off. Transformation is a, a thought that still I, I, I wrestle with, I don't understand fully, but I know that it excites me in a way that nothing else does. The notion of being transformed into the image of Christ, the, the, the notion of being used as an agent that can help others on that same journey. Transformation for me is the call, I think. The overarching purpose, recognizing the transformation that God has worked in my life and desiring to see it in the lives of others. I then find that this is often expressed in my job. Transformation, both in building projects and people. I'll give you a couple of examples. Right, a couple of projects that I've worked on recently up on the screen behind me. Now, you may recognize, or you may not, the first picture, disused and boarded up toilets in Kinross. But they're now a rather, you might recognize it for this reason, they're now a rather popular local attraction. Anyone recognize it? Good, none of your drinkers then, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to hear. You shouldn't recognize this, and you shouldn't admit to recognizing this one. Yes, it's, uh, it's Loch Leven Brewery. But again, a derelict building now with new life and a new future ahead of it. And there's something, for me, there's something deeply satisfying and almost foundational about seeing something that was overlooked and unwanted, transformed and repurposed and noticed and loved. 
The second project, just below it, is one that's it's currently on, ongoing. And it was a derelict storage building, which is in the process of being transformed into a cafe and a training kitchen and a resource base for a social enterprise that works with people with convictions, restoring their confidence, providing skills and experience, and lessening the likelihood of reoffending, putting them on a new path, transformed and in a new direction with a future and with a hope. Now, this is exciting. Because if the call is expressed in general terms by the transformation of a building, then that's of some academic interest. But if the building is then used directly in the transformation and restoration of people's lives, then that's of infinitely greater significance. Yeah. That's, exci that's exciting for me, because this is my thing. Find your own. Okay. And I, besides, I don't need competition. All right, I've got this market cornered. All right. But this is where the call to create kicks in for me. I've come to realize that through my experiences working in Haiti and with social enterprises at home, that I might not always be in a position to deliver the frontline aid and help that brings transformations to people's lives and circumstances. But if I'm mindful of the call and I lean into it, I can support the people and the agencies who do. Yeah. Maybe the band could come up. I'm just going to wrap up. So, to think about, where are you called to create? Is it in the church? Is it in your family? Is it in education? Is it in government? Is it in media? Is it in the arts? Is it in business? Everything is creative. God draws us to create. We're called to create. Let's identify our call. Believe that we're uniquely positioned as God's people to create a society that ends war, that alleviates poverty and suffering, that fights injustice, that brings hope to others and honor to him. Let's step out. God bless you and thanks for listening.